Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome into the Gramlick and McLean podcast brought to you by our great friends over at Duke's Mayo. We have finally made it, KG. Football season is over. It's the saddest day of my life for two reasons. Number one, I was dead wrong. Georgia won the national championship. Congratulations, Kelly. You picked this. You knew this was going to happen. Tell me how. Tell me why. Well, thank you, Eric McLean. First of all, I am also sad that college football is over. I think I saw on Twitter 227 days, I believe, until we have a game that's actually being played in Ireland, of course, because it's college football. We love it. So it'll be here before you know it. And we're going to have so much off-season content for you. We'll, we'll keep you sane until the season starts. Mac, look, it, I don't know how I knew. You know, sometimes certain people just just have these visions and, and they know what's going to happen. No, I'm kidding. I, I picked Georgia mainly because Vegas always knows Mechie was out. And I think it's really, really difficult to beat a team twice. Now, I do think the Jamison Williams injury impacted it. There's no asterisk. I'm not saying that. You win, you win. I mean, that's that's it. But some of those wide receivers, the young wide receivers, especially in the fourth quarter, were struggling and and not catching some of the very catchable passes that Bryce Young threw. But overall, I thought Georgia's defense was incredible, Mac. The amount of red zone stops where they force field goals, that was the difference. And then in the end, our boy, game manager Stetson Bennett, whose own coach never (laughs) even believed in him, got it done on that drive with that beautiful ball in the edge of the end zone. And it was cool. As someone who just loves sports, to watch Stetson Bennett just cry his eyes out on the sideline, that was a cool moment. So congrats to Georgia. I'm just glad that the evil empire, or as some of the pregame features called them, the Soviets, that was a little much, <laughs> didn't win again. So I was pleased with the result. I was happy to see a lot of those Georgia guys who had put in a bunch of time and lost a bunch of games to Alabama finally get to do it. You guys didn't know that Sean Tucker was coming on the podcast. He was very pleased with the I was very pleased here. with my picks really throughout the year, Mac. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> That's right. Shout out Syracuse. And talking about those picks over the year, I want to give a huge shout out and thank you to another one of our great partners, Seaside Grown, uh, for helping us make these fresh picks all season long. We have told you guys time and time again, the Seaside Grown brand, it has such a rich family history in the state of South Carolina, down in the low country uh, where they created just this tomato farm way back in the day. And somehow, some way, it has turned into another thriving business where they produce Bloody Mary mixes, margarita mixes, salsas, jams, barbecue sauces. You guys have to check it out. Seasidegrown.com. Use our code ACC15. Get all the products you want. Wrap up football season the right way, and you'll save 15% on your entire order. KG, speaking of those Seaside Grown picks, We always do some prop bets. We do some over-unders. We do this or that. We do all kinds of stuff here. When I'm looking at this game, the very first question that we asked about this, UGA over-under 130 rushing yards. I thought there was no way. I thought it was impossible. I thought that this Alabama defense was going to stone them. Georgia went over. Stetson Bennett, 1.5 interceptions. I said under, you said under, Mm -hmm. we got it right. He threw zero. He was a perfect game manager. He was 
promoted to regional manager after this game. UGA defense, 1.5 sacks. I said zero. I said they weren't even going to sniff Bryce. I said there's no way he's going to be too quick. He's going to get it out. They had four sacks. They lit them up. They were in his I thought that and was that the difference. Yeah, and that doesn't even count the pressures. I mean, they were hitting yep. him all night long, KG. I thought it was just the, the mindset for some of these seniors with so much pride. And when you get to play a team again and you can throw some different blitzes in there. And also, I, I mean, let's be honest, not having Williams and Mechie, you're able to all out blitz a little more because you're not yep. as afraid of the weapons downfield. Exactly. And you can go man-to-man. You can bring extra people. You're saying, hey, look, our guys better than those guys for sure. And that's what they were able to do. We said Alabama, score over 35 points. Uh-uh. Didn't happen. Didn't nope. even get close to happen. Field goals only. Bryce Young throws for over 320 yards. Yes, we said that would happen. And he did. 360 yards. Did you say yes or no? Do you agree with that? I feel like I said he would get right over. You said over. You said but over. But it's I funny. Remember. When you just read that prop, I was shaking my head like, no, he didn't do it. And he did. <laughs> he did. That kind of surprised me. He did. Well, he also threw it almost 60 times, so he That's had a lot true. of opportunity. Bama defense hold Georgia to under 375 yards of total offense. Bama did that. Somehow Bama did that. 364 yards. But the biggest thing, 33 points. Mm-hmm. Georgia just found a way in a game where field goals mattered, KG, so much. Georgia able to score touchdowns in the second half. And ultimately, that was the difference. So that's what really got it going. Georgia, congratulations. As much as it pains me to say that, it really Now it does. Now it, it, Sorry, it's Matt. all come racing Sorry, back. Matt. It's all come racing back. Uh, but congratulations, Georgia, a new champion. 40 years, they finally did it. And here's a little fun tidbit, KG. The first ever three seed to win a national championship in this college football format. Uh, Really cool to see. Okay, guys, we are officially moving to the offseason. It's crazy to think about. We are starting ACC Under Review, Episode 1, The Pitt Panthers. This schedule coming up, guys, is absolutely loaded. We will continue our mini-series, ACC Under Review. We're going to dive into each and every ACC school to talk about their 2021 football season and We're going to have some of your favorite writers, reporters, radio folks that cover your team to help us out. We are so excited to get these episodes out to you guys. And just a sneak peek, later this week, we will be breaking down Wake Forest with Ethan Joyce. And then next week, Clemson with Grace Rayner and NC State with Joe Giglio. We are picking only the best of the best to talk about these teams. You're not going to want to miss any of these episodes. Mac, before we dive into Pitt, the champs, the defending champs, and with our Duke's Mayo guest, can you tell our listeners about our great partner? That's right, KG. Duke's has that twang, that little Southern something that elevates food from good to downright ridiculous. Over the last 100 years, Duke's has continued to cultivate and celebrate its commitment to family recipes and bold Southern flavors. In addition to the flagship mayonnaise, which is still made according to Miss Eugenia Duke's original recipe, an American hero, by the way. In mm-hmm. Greenville, South Carolina, Duke's offers flavored mayonnaises, regionally inspired Duke's Southern sauces, and Kelly Gramlich's absolute favorite, the mustards. The chipotle mustard. I put the chipotle mustard and some mayo on my sandwiches that I make for lunch sometimes. And then the other night, Nick used the Carolina Gold barbecue sauce on some wings. We did it oh in the air gosh. fryer. Oh, no, oh, the air fryer. Yes. So good, Mac. Come so on. good. 
thick and creamy texture, trusted since 1917. My favorite thing about Duke's Mayo, outside of the twang, is the creativity. Listen to these flavors. Hint of lime, bacon tomato, habanero garlic, cucumber dill, fire roasted red pepper. Are you kidding me? And all you really need is some bread and a jar of any of these flavors. You got a killer sandwich. If you want to add some meat, you want to do a tomato sandwich, you can, but it's not really necessary. Check out all of these amazing flavors. Go to dukesmayo.com. Embrace the new flavors with that same twang. Y'all, this episode, we're going to be talking about the Pitt Panthers, their historic run to the ACC championship, and who better to join us than our guy, Alan Saunders. Alan covers all things Pittsburgh for Pittsburgh Sports Now and Pittsburgh Steelers Now. We had a blast with Alan. Go check out all of his great work. You can find him on Twitter at A Saunders underscore PGH. But for now, let's talk about the champs, the Pitt Panthers. Alan, welcome into the podcast. So grateful for your time today to help us break down the Pitt Panthers, the amazing season that these guys were able to have. 11-3 and three ACC champions made it to the Peach Bowl, although at a loss, we're just going to pass over that. Uh, really a historic season. Uh, these guys were picked to finish fourth in the Coastal preseason. They're 11-3, and three, have the belt. Just wanted to know your thoughts. I mean, overarching of this season, what it meant to the Panthers. Well, it was a really special season. It was a special season uh, for the players. It was a really special season for the fans who have been really waiting for something like that for a long time. And, uh, you know, like you said, it was, a, it was, ex they exceeded their expectations. I think in a lot of different ways um, and not just on a team level, but you have Kenny Pickett as a Heisman finalist, Jordan Addison uh, wins a Boletnikoff and, I just think uh, a fun, special time to be a part of the Pitt program, to be a Pitt fan, uh, something I think a lot of people are going to remember for a long time. I know I'm going to remember for a long time. It was a lot of fun to cover it. It was fun to be a part of. Is this something, I mean, this season, you've you've covered these guys, you know them, you kind of have you know your own expectations that maybe do not, uh, are in line with other people. I mean, did you see something like this happen? Because e even when I look at Kenny Pickett and I see the things that he was able to do this year, compared to others, I mean, this was a massive leap, I feel like, for the Pitt program in general. So, I mean, I, I predicted before the season they were going to go 9-3, and three, so I was close, I guess. Uh, there we go. I we got to call Allen. We got to call Allen. I sold him a little bit, I guess. Uh, but I, I thought the, the biggest surprise to me was, was one, they, they, did, they were a little bit better than I thought they would be. But also, I mean, I think most people, including myself, looked at this season, they were like, oh, okay. You know, DJ Uyagule and Sam Howell, and that's going to be the storyline in the ACC. And that never really developed. And then Pitt and Kenny Pickett kind of stepped up and said, okay, we that, that's going to be us then. If those guys aren't going to take advantage of this opportunity, then we will. And so I think that's the thing that really surprised me the most. I thought Pitt had a chance to be pretty good team, but I think some other teams I thought were going to be pretty good turned out not to be. And then Pitt stepped up and, and took advantage. Yeah, they, they filled the void in some respects. But I don't want to minimalize it and say, you know, they, there was just a void and they filled it because overall they were a really good football team. And specifically with Kenny Pickett, and I know you've been asked this question probably 5,720 times, Alan. But for as someone who covered Pickett for his 17 years at Pittsburgh, and 
a guy who, and, and Mac and I talked about this, he would throw for a lot of yards. It was a matter of, of getting the ball in the end zone through the air. That was a struggle for him. But this year is a completely different level. So for you, from an outsider looking in, someone who's covered in from the beginning, what specifically did you notice that was different about Kenny compared to previous years? Well, I think one is that he had more talent around him in the offense. I think you look at what happened with Jordan Addison. I think um, the other, uh, they got Lucas Kroll, who was a transfer at tight end, who became a really important target for him. He didn't have last year. Kroll missed the whole year with an injury. Um, they had a Gal- Gavin Bartholomew, a freshman, so they could play two tight ends. They had a lot of good receivers beyond Addison. Uh, guys like Taysier Mack and Jared Wayne. And, and it just seemed like he had a ton of weapons around him that he just didn't have at that consistent level. They had they led the country in drops in 2020. They cleaned that up. Uh, they ran the ball more effectively than they did. They cleaned up their short yardage offense, which, I mean, he's a part of, but that's mostly stuff that's outside of his control. But if the quarterback is getting you to third and one, and then the running game can't get you another set of downs, if the quarterback's getting you inside the five-yard line, think back to that game at Penn State, uh, you know, like, I don't I don't think I can put that on Kenny Pickett, right? That was a failure of the offense. So I think the biggest difference was that the offense around him worked better and it just gave him more opportunities. They, they sustained drives. They scored when they got into the red zone. And so he was the biggest recipient of, of all that additional offense that they got. And then I think once that started, then I think you saw – like Pat Narduzzi is a defensive coach, and a lot of defensive coaches are not comfortable – with throwing the ball 75% of the time in games. They don't want to do that. But I think then once you saw things start to work, you saw the trust, and then you said, okay, we can we can just turn this offense over to Kenny Pickett, and that's going to work, and we can let him run with it, and there you go. I don't You think back to that 2018 ACC championship game, that trust wasn't there then, right? That There wasn't that faith that if we let Kenny Pickett throw the ball 50 times a game, that's going to lead this team to victory. And so I think because it worked in the team concept, it worked really well for Kenny. I, individually, I mean, he's pretty much the same guy I always thought he was. I think he got better at reading defenses and really um, making judgments and decisions quickly and, and getting the ball out on time. And if the first read wasn't there, he was immediately the second and, and deciding when to run. I think all that was, was his improvement. But I think the biggest thing was just the offense worked better altogether. Alan, I, I totally agree with you. And I think when you look at, you know, Kenny's progression and, and his evolution, if you will, getting better as a quarterback, I mean, a, a lot of people think, okay, yeah, he's been there so many years. He, he should have this, you know, on key. But really, this was just year three for him in Whipple's offense. And, and you think of, okay, when do guys start making that kind of generational step? It's their junior year. And that's essentially, this was his junior year of this offense. And so, his progressions, he was able to go through them so much quicker. His overall understanding and ownership of the offense, everything that you just said, I mean, he he was buzzing through it. I I wish that the NFL has an awesome camera that really captures the quarterback's eyes. We've seen it from time to time in college, but there's a couple of clips where you can just see Kenny go one, two, three, nothing's open, check down, one, two, three, nothing's open, extend the play, and then hit a big home run. And I think that's what's so attractive. I mean, NFL scouts, this guy – he has a chance to be the first quarterback taken. I think it's going to happen. I hope it's with the Steelers. What a perfect dream would that be for him to stay in the Steel City? Uh, but it just overall improvement was really, really impressive from Kenny Pickett. Well, and Mac, let's ask Alan, because I know, Alan, you also cover the Steelers. You cover everything Pittsburgh. Is that something that you would like to see happen? I, 
part of me is thinking, that's a lot of pressure. You're coming in, you're replacing Ben Roethlisberger. Like, that's, that's almost too much. What do you think? I think the Steelers have kind of played themselves out of where Kenny's going to be picked, True. probably. Um, they can't pick higher than 19th now. I get the feeling that that would be kind of on the low end of where he's going to end up. Anything can happen, draft day, sure. Um, but I, I think that's that's less likely. I also think the Steelers just have um, – they have so many needs uh, that I just don't think – I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen with the Steelers after Ben Roethlisberger, but I would be kind of surprised if that thing is a first-round draft pick quarterback for next year. I, I think they're going to – you know, look to the free agency or try to make a trade or, um, or, or if they can't do that, go with Mason Rudolph for a year or two and, and see what happens. I, I just think they have, they have a lot going on. It's a, it's a very new thing and they're getting a new general manager. Now it's been reported. So I, I just have a hard time seeing, you know, them deciding that they're going to be a late first round pick and that's going to be a quarterback and that's, that's the way they go. So I'm kind of skeptical that that's the way that happens. I think there's a lot of places I think Carolina is a good fit for him. I think Atlanta is a good fit for him. I think New Orleans is a good fit. For him. And all those teams are going to come ahead of Pittsburgh. I, I just don't think they'll be there, most likely. NFC South. We'll see. That that yeah, would be really fun. Go. That'd be really He's fun. He's familiar with the, with the territory playing in the ACC. Sure, of course, know? of course. I mean, the fake slide happened in Bank of America. so it's That's right. Perfect. Come on. It's kind of perfect. Okay, we are. We need to ask about the quarterback situation next year because I liked what we saw from Nick Patty before he got hurt. But when he got hurt, and I'm not asking for a hot take for you, Alan, on, on opt-outs and all that stuff. That can be debated forever. But they kept showing Kenny up in the box. And he's a guy, at, normally when a, a guy who's going to be the first quarterback taken is not in the playoff, you kind of assume, okay, he's going to opt out. What I know about Pickett, we've had him on the podcast, I thought he might play just because it's obvious how much he loves Pitt and his teammates. And when they panned to him, I know you were at the game, but when they panned to him, it looked like he would give anything when Patty got hurt to go down there. Is that the vibe you got from him? Yeah. I mean, Kenny's a super competitive guy. I think that's one of the things that makes him really attractive to NFL coaches and scouts is, is not just his physical ability. And like Eric talked about his reading defenses and that's impressive too. But I just think his toughness and his competitive drive is, is like, you know, there's a lot of quarterbacks that, that don't like getting hit. That, like you kind of look at him and you say like, does this guy love football? Like he loves being a quarterback. He likes being the star. He likes having his name on a po his face on a poster. But like, does he love like getting in the mud and, and getting hit and, and getting and you see so that Clemson game where he you know he's running for that first down and he's taking a big hit. He just he gets up and he flexes and he's like that's Kenny Pickett to me. And so I just think when you take a guy like that and you put him on the sideline, this kid had to be killing. Oh. He had to be he had to be beside <laughs> himself that entire game of just not being able. And he him and Nick Patty are close. They've been together for a while. They're both from New Jersey. Came to Pitt. He really wanted him to have that opportunity. Yeah. But man, I think it I, I think it had given a lot to be uh, back in that huddle at the end of that game. Oh, I, I, I don't feel think like they had question. to hold him back, Mac. Right. I think there were max size guys in that booth <laughs> that, and I'm sure they were there before the game. And they said, "Look, if if Kenny tries to go down at halftime, you literally stop him. I mean, you." Put I bet him on they the didn't take his helmet to Georgia. I bet they That's left right. in Pittsburgh oh. on purpose. That's right. Well, li hey, listen, we could talk about Kenny this entire episode. I mean, the things that he has done, accomplished, uh, the, the money that he is about to make is tremendous, and, and that's what's all great about college football is that you can have 
this type of example. And I hope, you know, these other quarterbacks, these other position players will see this and that there is benefit in growing your brand, growing your stock and, you know, coming back to school, you know, not, not everybody can be a first rounder in three years, but I want to take a glimpse into next year before we move on to, you know, any more review of, of this season and looking at that quarterback position. I mean, is it Slovis is to lose? I have to think that he came there to play. I have to think that this coaching staff said, Hey buddy, this is your job. If you want it, you just got to come over. Am I right there? Have you heard anything? Is this going to be a true competition in spring? Well, I asked Pat kind of point blank, and he said there will be a competition. Um, I think Nick Patty is a is an underrated player. I think he can be a good quarterback at this level. I'm, you know, I think Keen Slovis is a guy who's very interesting. If if you get the freshman year version of him, right? Wait, who are we probably, getting? That's right. Who are we probably have get? an All American and another Heisman candidate and a and a first round draft pick. And if you get the junior year from USC version of him, I'm not sure that's definitely better than Nick Patty. And so I think I think this is an instance where, like, yeah, I'm sure they told him, like, yeah, we'll come in, we have room for you. But if I was coming into that situation, if I was Keaton Slovis after the season, I had just put down – I would want that competition. I would want to prove that, hey, I'm the guy. I'm the guy that you thought you were getting. Uh, I'm the guy that I think I am. I'm I'm like I still think I'm a first round pick. I still think I'm one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So I would want that competition if I was him. And and I think it's a good thing. I don't think competition could ever be a bad thing for a football team when you have guys that are willing to go out there and, and compete and make each other better. I, I think that's the best case scenario. And I think that's one of the things we lose with the transfer portal in some instances. Yes, and I think yes. here you're gonna gain it from the transfer portal because I think if there was no Keaton Slovis, you'd just be handing the keys to Nick Patty. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think this this makes Pitt better either way. Whether it's going to be Slovis comes in and he, he says, yeah, I'm back to the guy and I'm going to win the job, or Nick Patty steps up and says, hey, y'all been underrating me and I was here all along and, and I can do this. Either way, that's better for Pitt. I listen, I completely agree with you. And, and when you see that you talk about that competition, you talk about, okay, that breeds greatness is, is when you can have somebody to really, you know, push you and, and that is on your heels, or maybe you're fighting to get in front of man. It, it just, the, the best will come out of that. I, I feel very confident. Uh, one guy that will make either of those quarterbacks extremely happy. And you mentioned it earlier is Jordan Addison. And look, I, I had the great privilege and opportunity to sit down with Addison you know, kind of in preseason camp and talk with him. And, man, a super-focused guy. I mean, short, sweet, to the point, gave great answers, but he's not messing around. Uh, and, and he's the best receiver in college football. I mean, he had an unbelievable year, right at 1,600 yards, 100 receptions, 17 touchdowns. I mean, what's the ceiling for this young man? Do, are we going to see improvement next year? I know his quarterback's gone, but, you know, just from a personal standpoint, I mean, what even can he get better at? He's so driven and so focused. I, you, I think you you hit it right on. Is that he came in as a freshman last year, and we're like, yeah, well, you know, like, what are your goals? What do you have? I, like, I want to be the best receiver in the country. And then Check. went out and did Check. went out and did some stuff. Okay, <laughs> there it is. Well, it took him two years to accomplish that. Wonder what he's going to do with his third. You know, like I I just think uh, he's really focused on improving himself. I think you know he's had the really he's now had. Two coaches in two years at that position. He's going to have a third. Brennan Marion moved on to Texas. That hasn't seemed to bother him. And actually, I think it seemed to help him. Uh, he's just he's he's a very self motivated, very driven kid. And uh, yeah, he's going to make whoever is the quarterback look really good most of the time. And 
I think the rest of the receiving room is really good too. They got a transfer from Akron, um, Kanata Mumfield, who's supposed to be pretty pretty solid. I, they get Jared Wayne back. Um, he's a big guy who who can make him. He's pretty much open on every play. He's tough to cover. Um, Gavin Bartholomew was a freshman tight end. They really like so it's. I think that's one of the reasons they end up with Keaton Slovis is it's a really attractive place to go be quarterback right now. As you look at what you have around you, the whole offensive line is coming back all five guys i don't know what more you could ask for as far as a returning talent standpoint on that offense it's really impressive with pitt because pickett's leaving but it feels like the rest of the apparatus is still there and so it's going to come down to which of these quarterbacks and who knows it's going to be a competition i would assume but which of these quarterbacks can activate the weapons and mac you know if you he our guy alan did address some offensive line but I generally defer to Mac on any offensive line questions. <laughs> Mac, do you have any specifics that you want to get into with the big uglies? Well, let me tell you this. The fact that they all announced that they're coming back is massive. Yeah. I mean, it, it's such a huge thing because, you know, I was really talking with folks right at the end of this year, and they're like, okay, can Pitt repeat? Are they going to be able to build on this? What is, is it a one-year wonder? I'm like, man, they're just potentially losing so much because you have no clue at that time, right? And, and I'm listening off – Offensive linemen, they're going to be leaving. Kenny's that's gone. A couple of skill players might decide to leave. And I'm like, I just don't know. I don't know if they can do it, you know, when you have to totally rebuild. But for all five of those guys to come back, Alan, it's a huge testament, I think, to the program, to what they believe in, and the fact that, okay, maybe there's some more out there that these guys can get. Do you have any insight into that decision why all five of them said, let's run it back one more year? I think it is the number one thing that you can point to I mean yeah they got a really good player in Kenny Pickett but if you really think of like what has made Pitt different from from the time that Pat Narduzzi came here until now it's that they have built a culture where players want to be there and they want to stay and they want to get better and and Kenny is an example of that Um, but you think the year before DeMar Hamlin did the same thing was, you know, an all ACC type safety. And he can decide to come back for his extra year before he goes to the NFL. Now you have the whole offensive line coming back. It's not like Kenny was like a one-off thing. This has been a trend with this program. And you look at the transfer portal, they're bringing in as much as they're taking out. Like there's, there's no 10, 11, 12 guys leaving pit every year. And if there are, they're guys that are, are, you know, at the bottom of the depth chart looking for an opportunity to go play. They're not losing key pieces left and right. And so I just think that's that's the culture of the program, that guys want to be there, that they feel like being there makes them better, that their best way to go have success in the NFL is not to go run to the league. It's to stay at Pitt. I think that just says so much about the way Pat Narduzzi has built up that program into a place where it's a destination, not just from recruiting, but they guys want to be there. And so, yeah, it, I mean, you should get the whole offensive line back, and every team in the country would be begging to have that situation. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think that's so rare right now. Is most of the narrative we talk about this sport is like, oh, you know, everybody wants to transfer. Everybody wants to go to the NFL early. And here you have this this program doing it really the complete 180 and, and having success with it. I think, I think it's a great thing. In 2022, it really, it says everything you need to know about the program when you have stuff like that happening. Now, I mentioned pretty much the whole apparatus coming back offensively, not Kenny Pickett and not Mark Whipple. That That's the yeah. other big factor. 
And obviously he, Pickett and Whipple, and Pickett even talked to us about this, they had a connection. There was no doubt about it. So what have you been hearing, Alan? Well, let's put your reporter hat on for a second. What what do we know about who could potentially be calling the plays at Pitt? Very little. Um, Pat is pretty close to the vest about his coaching hires, um, has been. I would assume that coaches convention is happening right now and that that's when these things generally um, start to gain some traction. But I've heard very little about specific names. I will say I think that they're going to go for a guy who's experienced. I think that if you look at most of the coaches that Pat Narduzzi has sought out, you know, he wants guys that have been there and done that. And, and you know, you look at Mark Whipple, which was a hire that I think when he made it, some people kind of scratched their heads, you know, like, oh, this is a guy in his 60s. And, you know, he was around back when Ben Roethlisberger was young. And, man, like, it's, you know, he was a uh, nominated for the uh, Broilers Award. I think he was like a semifinalist. And I, I asked Pat, I was like, you, know, you think about, okay, who's a Broilers Award guy? Oh, it's that, like, hot young assistant, right? That guy that, that you think is going to be that next big thing. And, and here's a guy whose next big thing is, like, golfing, probably. And, like, <laughs> and he – but I just think that's what Pat is comfortable working with, is that he, especially on the offensive side, he wants a guy that he has full trust in to say, hey, you call the plays, you put in the playbook, you handle the quarterback. I'll tell you when I want to kick a field goal and when I want to go for it on fourth down, and that's about it. Like, that's all you. And so I think he wants somebody that's experienced that he has a lot of trust and faith in to really – I mean, that's uh, it's almost like a co-head coach, what, what Mark Whipple was. And so I think that's going to be an attractive job for a lot of people. And I, I do think, though, you're going to see an experienced coach. That would be – that'd be my that's my biggest uh, thought about, about the position right now. So, Alan, I want to get into a little bit of tea here, man. Uh, what happened? Why, why did Mark leave? I mean, I have no insight into this. It sounds like it was a pretty good situation. If, if that's truly Narduzzi says, hey, this, this is your baby. I'm not touching it. Do whatever you want. I mean, why, why leave that? Was there some type of rub? Is it What was the deal with why that happened? Because it was kind of awkward on, on our end, at least, covering the, the Panthers there. Yeah, it, it wasn't um, real clear you know, what exactly happened there. I do know that, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, his contract was up. Mark Whipple's contract was up with Pitt uh, after this season. And so I, I'm just not sure that there was an agreement there that that anybody wanted to commit to in December and there was an opportunity for him to go somewhere else and he took it. I, I think that's kind of the, the gist of what I'm getting. Um, I don't know if it was necessarily money I, you know, I assume Nebraska has lots of it, but, you know, I, I just think it was mostly about a commitment at that point in the calendar that he wasn't necessarily getting from Pitt, that he, he got somewhere else. And, um, you know, I, I think maybe if you want to levy a criticism against Pat Narduzzi is that he's not necessarily always had the, the reputation as being the easiest guy to work for, I think. And so, you know, maybe um, while, you know, it's nice to have that, responsibility it's also it's also a lot of responsibility it's also you know that that there's a demand there and um so I, I think it was mostly an amicable uh separation and that, that both sides kind of had decided that it was probably in the best interest if everybody moved on well alan this is a perfect segue for me to tell mac that uh my contract is expiring with the gramlick and Macklin <laughs> podcast Oh no! And so we, I've actually been hearing um, from some some big institutions in the Midwest. So, <laughs> we'll we'll get into that a little later, Mac. 
Okay, we haven't even talked about defense yet, Alan, and this is so what Mac and I do because I only played offense and Mac only played offense, like literally. So we need to get into the defense for Pitt. I love that you own that, by the way. We hey, listen, nobody on this podcast Let's except for maybe you cares about defense. Let's be honest; it's all about scoring points, yeah, look. moving the ball, getting all the stats. If I gave up a two, I was going to make a three. That was my That's that was right. my uh, my strategy. But this defense really good um, against the run overall. And playing man-to-man as they always do, that's what they do. And the defense stepped up at times. I think we talked so much about the offense this year, which was the story. But the defense still stayed solid. It felt like there wasn't much of a drop-off. What's your overall breakdown of what you saw from Pitt's defense this year? I think the big question coming in was they lost those those two ends, right? You lost Rashad Weaver and Pat Jones to the NFL, and you thought, well, can they... Can they repeat that without them? And then they, they lost some guys on the back end, Damar Hamlin, Harris Ford, and, and you, Jason Pinnock. And you kind of said, okay, like they have had a good defense, but so could they keep it going? I think the question on the defensive line has been soundly answered. You got Hobba Baldonado had a fantastic year. I think you like what you see out of John Morgan. Dayon Hayes was a man possessed in that Peach Bowl. Um, and so I think what Charlie Partridge has done with that defensive line unit Super impressive. Uh, they're not going anywhere. They've got a bunch of four-star guys that they recruited that are really highly rated that can't get on the field. Um, they, they have an embarrassment of riches there. So I think the run defense and the pass rush part of things, we should feel really confident about going forward. The two losses you can really point to, though, is that parts of their secondary did get exposed and not by, you know, Alabama by Western Michigan and the Miami team that kind of struggled at times. Now I think Van Dyke is a good young quarterback, but that's a, that's a matchup that a defense like Pitt should feel comfortable going into. And instead they kind of got exposed. So, I mean, part of it is the scheme. They ask a ton out of their defensive backs, the corners on the islands, but uh, yeah, the safeties are even in a worse position than the corners because they're, they're in basically man coverage and they're 12 yards off the ball. And it's really, really difficult when teams are running RPO slants and they have a run responsibility, they have a pass responsibility, they're going different directions, and they got picked on. And so um, I think there's room for improvement there. Um, They're, again, going to lose some guys. If there's a question about that unit, though, it's the linebackers that are responsible for those short zone coverages and the safeties. I think there's, there's some legitimate concern there. I think Brandon Hill's a good player, but, you know, if, if you're going to, be worried about a part of Pitt's defense. I think that, you know, if can can they avoid getting getting RPOs slanted to death like they did against Western Michigan? And can they keep those big plays, which really was what hurt them against Miami, from happening on a consistent basis? If you want to take a team from being having a really good, really fun, historic year and going to the Peach Bowl and turn it into a team that's a contender for the national championship, you got to find a way to win those games. And so I think that's that's probably where that next step lies. Okay, Alan, you bring up Western Michigan. And now I'm just going to play the what-if game really quickly because I tweeted this out after the ACC championship game. And it's so fascinating to think about. If Baylor still beats Okie State and Georgia beats Alabama, which this actually this podcast is going to come out after the Natty, so Georgia may have done it. We don't know right now, just being honest. But if Georgia had beaten Bama in the SEC titles, you got a two-loss Bama. And you have a one-loss Pitt who didn't lose to Western Michigan. Do you feel like this Pitt team, again, just pretend Western Michigan didn't happen. Do you feel like they had earned enough respect to possibly get in the playoff? 
Yeah, I think if they had beaten because if they had beaten Western Michigan, they would have been you know the way the rankings you, you always you know they're sticky, right? Yeah. So like that that game against Miami, it had already been it had been way up top 10. It had already been a top right. 10 team going into that game. So they wouldn't have fallen that far and yeah, I think they would have ended up there if they hadn't lost to Western Michigan. Um but you know, talking to some guys on the team, you know, their kind of thought was like they're not sure that season happens if they don't lose to Western Michigan. That that was that was a really like a turning point for them where they kind of said, "Look, we have too many seniors. This is it for us. Like, we're not going to go out as the pit team that lost to Western Michigan. Like that. It's not going to be how that we're we're going to let ourselves be defined." And they went out and and did it. And so I don't know that they only w- lose one the rest of the way if they win that one. You know, who knows? But. Um, I do think that's the thing that if you want to say, okay, what's next to Pitt, what's next for Pitt is that, they, and that's been a thing. It's not just been this year, right? I mean, they were, they had a good start last year and then they lost, uh, they lost that overtime game at Boston college and they, they lost to Louisville at home in a, in a game. I think they were like 17 point favorites. Like you gotta be able, if you want to be a championship team year in and year out, you gotta win the games you're supposed to win. That's been a thing for Pitt. And so I think, that's the next thing for them is is to to find a way to clean those games up because you're not going to beat Clemson every time you play them. You're not going to beat Miami every time you play them. You know you got to be able to win those those other games. We, we have a name for it, and it's called pitting. It's called Clemsoning. It's called whoever ing. Just add that to oh, it. Don't say you, that, you, Matt. You've got to get over that hump. You have to take care of things when you're supposed to, and uh, you know not just get up for the big games. Not just get up for the Clemson for the Tennessee. You have to then go the next week to beat a struggling Miami team, to beat a much lower caliber opponent in a Western Michigan. And that's how, that consistency, honestly, is my biggest bone to pick with most of the ACC is that, okay, we have to raise the elevation to here. You have to win those games that you're supposed to on a regular basis and then win the toss-up ones every now and again. So that's really my biggest thing. And can Pitt do that? I certainly think the leadership is there, the talent we've seen for sure there. So now I got to ask you, Alan. We've gone through it. We broke down twenty-one as mess as best we can. Twenty-two next year. So much returns offensively. Coaching changes surely going to be different. But what expectations on January tenth should we place for the Panthers going into the twenty-two football season? Well, I don't know how you can consider them anything other than the favorite to win the Coastal Division again. I mean, I think that's that's fair and deserved. They're, they've put themselves in that position. And, you know, I, I like Miami's trajectory with a new coach and a, and a young quarterback, and uh, Virginia's going to be dangerous as long as Brennan Armstrong's there. And But, you know, I, I think it should be Pitt and everybody else in that division, and then we'll see. I don't expect Clemson to be uh, down for very long, and, and they can certainly be back to being the kind of unstoppable force that they've been. But I think that's a fair expectation for this team and where they've been and and where they're going. I think if you, you win the conference and then you go out and – you know, you're going to lose your quarterback and you get one of the very best out of the transfer portal, you should expect to be right back in that conversation again the next year. And uh, they got a tough non-conference schedule. They got Tennessee. They got West Virginia. They have to go to Western Michigan, although uh, Caleb Ellaby and Sky Moore won't be there to beat them up this year. They're both declared for the draft, so uh, maybe that'll be an easier trip. But, uh, you know, it's, a, it's not a super easy non-conference schedule. But as far as the Coastal, I think they should be – they should expect to be there, back there in Charlotte again. Over under nine wins, putting you on the spot right now. Ooh. So, 
I think nine is actually a pretty good number. I know. But that's I'll, why I'll I said lean, it. I'll lean that's over. Why I, over. I'll lean over. Let's go. I'll lean over. I love it, man. Hey, listen, Alan, to kick off our ACC under review, man, this was exceptional. Thank you so much for your time and uh, for joining us today, my man. Of course. Love being with you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Alan Saunders for joining us. I discovered him trying to find a Pittsburgh radio guest for my radio show. And when he came on, he was awesome. And so since then, I've been following him on Twitter for all things Pitt. And he does a really, really good job. There, there were so many things that were interesting that Alan brought up. I, I think when we talk about this past season and we talk about Kenny Pickett and, and what he was able to do, I think we've, we've obviously broken down. Pickett's 2021, but I thought Alan brought a little bit of a different perspective, so that was really good. And then it's going to be so interesting to see what the quarterback position looks like next year. And look, I'm with Alan Mack. I think Pitt should be the favorite for the Coastal. Now, when we get to July and people start going crazy and they start saying, oh, Miami's back for the 17th year in a row, we'll see. But look, right now, barring any crazy injuries or something, Pitt would be my favorite to win the Coastal. I think they've earned that respect. I like that as well. And I, I like the, the not even boldness, just the confidence uh, that Allen said that with. I know it's his team. I know you know people say, oh, he's a homer or whatever. That, that's his job. Um, but I like it. I really do. And I think the fact that you know, you're going to have a great quarterback battle with Keaton Slovis uh, and with Nick Patty, whoever comes out on top there, you know, it, is going to be the best player. I, I think that's the best thing. I spoke about it many times in that interview, but, you know, competition is really going to make the best guy come out of that and all the skill players coming back. Uh, the, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what they do at OC. Every, everything that I've kind of been hearing is that they're going to the NFL and bringing someone back, bringing someone down. And I think that's going to be, you know, just really interesting to see uh, who they get, what can they do, and uh, all that responsibility. So exciting times for the Panthers. Cannot wait to see what they look like in 22. But guys, we mentioned at the front of this episode, goodbye college football season. It's over. We will see you in <laughs> so sad. 227 days, eight hours, seven minutes. Cannot wait. It's but the actually, best time of year. We will see you on Friday because that's, right. <laughs> that's the thing is the games aren't being played, but the college football discussion and banter it never ends. That's a three, six, five kind of situation. So stay tuned because we've got a lot of great stuff coming at you. That's right, KG. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Another great episode of Gramlick and MacLane brought to you by our friends over at Duke's Mayo. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating, or write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see you all.